From Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett. The air became very still, so still that you could almost hear the slow fall of dust. The librarian swung on his knuckles between the endless bookshelves. The dome of the library was still overhead, but then it always was. It seemed quite logical to the librarian that, since there were aisles where the shelves were on the outside, then there should be other aisles in the spaces between the books themselves, created out of quantum ripples by the sheer weight of words. There were certainly some odd sounds coming from the other sides of some shelving, and the librarian knew that if he gently pulled out a book or two, he would be peeking into different libraries under different skies. Books bend space and time. One reason the owners of those aforesaid little rambling, pokey, second-hand bookshops always seem slightly unearthly is that many of them really are, having strayed into this world after taking a wrong turning in their own bookshops in worlds where it is considered commendable business practice to wear carpet slippers all the time and open your shop only when you feel like it. You stray into L-space at your peril. Very senior librarians, however, once they have proved themselves worthy by performing some valiant act of librarianship, are accepted into a secret order and are taught the raw arts of survival beyond the shelves we know. The librarian was highly skilled in all of them, but what he was attempting now wouldn't just get him thrown out of the order, but probably out of life itself. All libraries everywhere are connected in L-space. All libraries. Everywhere and the librarian, navigating by book sign carved on the shelves by past explorers, navigating by smell, navigating even by the siren whisperings of nostalgia, was heading purposefully for one very special one. There was one consolation. If he got it wrong, he'd never know it. This is Gothic. Season 4 of the Gothic Podcast may contain sensitive material not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Anyways, so there I was. I was just, uh, you know, making a delivery like I normally do. And, uh, you know, got to talking. And so I got to talking uh, quite a while with, uh, with this uh, woman works down at the metal shop. Uh, I think her name's... Uh, uh, what is it? Cadence. Yeah, that's a funny name for somebody who works at a music place, right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Um, anyway, so we was talking and she was asking me questions about, you know, the weird stuff. You know, like uh, uh, how Ivy Corp, you know, how some of the trucks, they have uh, people that like go along with them, like bodyguards and stuff. And, you know, I got thinking to myself, you know, that is real strange. I thought about it all day. I don't know. I I remember stuff now that I didn't used to, and it's starting to uh, freak me out a little bit. And so, you know what I'm saying. I, 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 so there I, uh, I was there at the end of the day. I was thinking, hey, maybe I'll go get a beer with Bill and Cindy, yeah? And uh, so I said, hey, Bill, hey, Cindy, you want to get a beer? Yeah, they did. So uh, we went down, and uh, we was having a beer, and... You know, I, I started mentioning stuff. I started asking them what they thought. And they got all cagey-like. And so, yeah, and so I was getting that vibe off of them. You know what I'm saying? And so I, uh, I don't know. What I uh, decided to do was, once I started remembering things, I, uh, you know, they kind of work kind of late there down at, the, down at the shop, yeah? So I thought uh, maybe I'll go down there and I'll talk to them a bit. And uh, maybe, uh, find out uh, 
Find out some more things about what it was that maybe I've been seeing, maybe I've been going crazy. So I got down to the thing, and it's all locked up, of course it is, you know. I, What was I going to expect? That's when they came. You know what I'm saying? The ones that I thought I'd seen. Yeah, I guess I had seen them after all. Yeah, I guess I had. Ariel Farouche conducts her business. What is that business, Ariel? I am uh, very frustrated with the way that the mission went, and I want to look into Ivy Corp on my own, um, without the group this time, just uh, operating solo as I was meant to. Well, interesting. What was it about their uh, tactics that you didn't like? Well, all of these group decisions. I just, I work alone for a reason. And then this Baz person absolutely just picks me up bodily and carries me off. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but uh, that is absolutely beyond the pale. So I just uh, will continue my investigations um, with my own resources. I happily will share all the information with them. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Uh, another martini, then? <laughs> Martinis are my blood. <laughs> Here you go. You know, they don't call me Jacques, your bartender, for nothing. <laughs> All right, so, Ariel, after leaving Jacques' bar, uh, your usual hangout uh, when off-duty, you want to investigate the Ivy Corp more. Now, you've already determined... It was easy enough to find out the uh, information you you already have, which is the CEO of of Ivy Corp is one Junichiro Hayashi. He's uh, the CEO of Ivy Corp. Well, then obviously he's the big bad that I need to be going after. You did find that the warehouse that uh, you staked out, you'd already found this out, was was an Ivy Corp warehouse um, under a couple of different shield companies, but all of them, of course, trace all of that information traces back to Ivy Corp. And Ivy Corp is very famously Junichiro Hayashi's. His face uh, can be seen in the ads. He is a mild-mannered to an extent, but he comes across as a uh, kind of a Steve Jobs kind of character, not like Steve an Elon Job. Musk, not but more like a Steve Jobs. You know, a nice guy who just happened to make it big. But still, it is his project. It's not, he's not the hired CEO. It is, uh, like Elon Musk, it is his company. It is his company. Okay. Yes. He started it, famously started it as a uh, bicycle delivery company <laughs> in his teens. And then it, he let that go when he went to college. And then after going to business school, he brought it back. And it's named Ivy because he thought that the that terminology was both pleasurable in that it gives you the sense of the forest, of ivy growing upon the sides of old buildings or upon trees. Peacefully. Peacefully. <laughs> but also that it extends everywhere. Uh, some people have called it uh, kudzu core. An invasive weed. <laughs> You want to investigate them more. What, what do you do? Well, of course, I will marshal my resources and uh, develop a plan of action. Uh, but I think that I would start by tailing him personally. Uh, I don't know that I want to... I feel like I don't have the resources to mount a big corporate infiltration, necessarily. I would, uh, I would rather... Rather, maybe just personally start a tail, um, following him around on my motorbike, that sort of thing. Since motorcycles play such a big part here in this season of the Gothic podcast, <laughs> um, what's your motorcycle look like? Oh, it is very sleek and sexy. <laughs> I have a very sexy motorbike. I don't know much about motorcycles, personally. Uh, but uh, but it would be very, very urban and not shiny in a literal sense, of course. It would, I would want it to be a little bit more subtle than that. I would have it be uh, just 
very slim, perhaps, and maneuverable. Go ahead and roll investigate. Do I add any of my powers to this? If you have any powers that you think will apply, then um, yes. Uh, maybe reckless. No, investigate. Not, I'm not driving. Well, if you're following them around, you could argue for your driving skills. Uh, all right. I'd like to spot the wolf in sheep's clothing. I've already theoretically done so, but I'd like this to be... You don't have proof, so yeah, that's, right. that's a good one. Yeah. Um, how about my what big shadows you have? Not only am I searching out the shadows, but I am, of course, slipping in it. Where'd she go? That's a good one. You, Ariel, are almost all mythos. You are nearly the full embodiment of your mythos. You only have one Logos um, theme book left before you become fully the avatar of that unknown character <laughs> that is probably symbolized by the red cloak that you wear. What does that red cloak look like, Who by the way? You? It is so dark, of course, as to be indiscernibly red in the shadows it's of course black in the shadows but uh but that very deep red that uh is so much deeper than um than blood we think of when we see blood it is like a very rich velvety red is it a cloak is it a trench coat is it a what is it no it's almost more like just the hood maybe with um with uh Really only, it's it's more like a vest, um, maybe perhaps an armored vest, but with a hood, uh, with that hood that pulls over to give me some personality. No, that makes, that makes perfect <laughs> I'm sense. I'm really not sure what practical purpose a hood has other than, but I don't actually want a cape. <laughs> no capes. <laughs> okay. So it's not a coat. It's not a cloak. It's not a, it's just a, you're a wearing a vest. vest. Probably, yeah, this, this vest that's, uh, that is armored, I believe, because I think you do have armor. Yeah, this has this this Assassin's Creed kind of hood that pulls up over your over your head to a cowl, and it's much darker than my hair, which of course is quite a bright red. In fact, perhaps I would never say it, but it might be more orange. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how many tags did we wind up with? All right, four. Four. Oh, that's nice. All right, roll away. Five. Five plus four is nine. So nine. You get to ask uh, questions one-to-one. So you get four questions you get to ask of me. Now, I have to answer truthfully, but I can give you a straight answer or I can give you a solid lead. I don't have to give you the answer outright. Fair, but then I have to think of questions. Yeah, true. You get four questions, though. That's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, you could break this case wide open. So you're following Junichiro Hayashi. What are you trying to achieve through this pursuit, through this surveillance? Well, I mean, the primary objective, correct, is the discovery of this reign of bodies. And I want to discover Ivy Corp's role in that, correct? Well, that is the team's goal. Now, of course, you as nearly the avatar of Little Red Riding Hood. <gasps> Gasp! Um, your goal is probably to bring down the big bad wolf. Sure, but, uh, but, so, I mean, how is he bad precisely? This seems pretty bad, so, of course, that seems to be the lead I would pursue. Yeah. What is the ultimate goal of him or of his company as, as far as it represents him and his personal goal? Of course, I'm also Can't... interested in any other nefarious and uh, unlawful activities that have been taking place, but... But mostly I'm, I'm interested in pursuing this supernatural angle because I'm one of a few, as I understand, that remembers it. So you could ask pretty broad questions, you know, because you're following them around and you've got a success. And you're going to be able to spend several days just tracking his movements and seeing what he does. So... Do I have to abide by the laws of following somebody around and not being able to hack into their systems? Because following him around is only going to give me an, an insight into his personal movements, not his thoughts or his agenda, per se. True. So I could see him interacting with desiccated writers, or I could see him meeting with some other entity, but I couldn't necessarily read 
his manifesto. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that's the thing is that if you ask those other questions, I may end up saying, right. well, how do you find those out? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you find that out? And that may lead us into a completely different direction. Okay, so the first question I would like to ask is, um, can I identify any of uh, people that he's been meeting with? If he's meeting with outside companies or or writer people you follow him for a few days keeping a pretty low profile despite my reckless driving as far as you know <laughs> he meets with the people you would expect him to meet with he has lunches business lunches with various uh movers and shakers in the city uh he obviously knows the mayor. He knows the other big corporation heads. Jesus That's who he's Christ. having lunch with at, a, at, a, at very expensive places that you can only follow him to the door. You can't go in yourself. There's no way. Well, I mean, no normal way. You could if you wanted to, but... I'm not going to push that just yet, as long as I can identify his meeting part. Between following him and from pulling out your handy-dandy iPad uh, from inside of your vest and doing a little hacking, you can see who he's meeting with at any given time. The person, though, that he meets that is of interest to you is a fellow that doesn't show up on his calendar that you've hacked into. And that's what you've been looking for. Those times where he goes out in his big black limo with the license plate IV1 on it. This guy is a big Norwegian, Swedish-looking guy. He dresses in a variety of different clothes, all very nice, uh, fashionable clothing. But he's always wearing this huge fur coat. Honestly, he looks like Vin Diesel from Triple X. Excellent. <laughs> Norwegian in a big coat. Okay. Uh, so you said he met with him several times? He met with him once. It wasn't in a public place. This was in the warehouse district, um, not far, actually, from a place that you have recently discovered, the other team discovered, is the place where the motorcycles are built, the bodyguard motorcycles, the oh, right, those right. of the riders. The surround the truck. Oh, so this might be the outsourcing of protection? Possibly. Although... What you see happen is Hayashi gives this guy a scroll, not a piece of paper, a, an honest-to-God scroll okay. wrapped with, you know, some kind of fancy ribbon. And a little bit of checking comes up with a name. Comes up with a name, Magnus Simeon, for this fellow. The place that we've seen the... The desiccated people, uh, those were the motorcycle riders. Yes. So there's something, uh, there's something supernatural. And, and we identified those correctly as, as some of the bodies that fell from the sky? Yes. Okay, so there's some, some connection now between the bodies that fell from the sky and the motorcycle riders that are protecting Ivy Corp truck deliveries and this Norwegian in a big fur coat. Seems maybe, yes. With a scroll. It's very sort of supernatural-looking scroll. Very supernatural-looking <laughs> scroll, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So that's one of my four questions. That is one of your four questions. You've got three left. All right. So my next question is, uh, is there anyone higher up that he reports to or supernatural power that he prays to or something? Um, is he the boss? Is what I want to know. I can give you... A lead on that. Okay. There is a block of time once a week in his calendar that you have hacked into mm -hmm. that is blocked off just for him. No one can come in and see him into his office. No one can. No one can call. No one is allowed into the office that he has at the Ivy Corp Pyramid at the edge of City Park. Is it just one hour? One hour. Does that mean he reports to somebody else sure. during that time? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he just takes a nap. Maybe he just takes a nap. But, it's, just takes a nap. <laughs> but it's an important lead. But his calendar has scheduled nap time. 
<laughs> he's able <laughs> he is able to be disturbed during that time. So what is the name of this time then? If mm-hmm. his calendar has scheduled nap time, what is this labeled? Do not disturb. Ah, uh, okay. So then, uh, one, my third question, this is perhaps unspecific, but I want to know his next move. So I want to know where to send the crew. Uh, what's going down? What is the next big thing? So you have been following him for a while, and it is night, and you are outside a tea house. I hope you can hear, Sojourners, the quotation marks I put around that, because this is the Boba Fett Tea House and Cantina. You should see that eye roll. (laughs) This particular night, you don't, I mean, he doesn't normally go out at night. He uh, normally goes back to his uh, place, which is a, a manor house in the mansion district in the hills just to the south of town. So is Boba Fett's um, tea house and cantina someplace that Junichiro Hayashi would roll his eyes at a little bit? Yes. All right. But he doesn't go in. The car is idling outside of the back entrance to the tea house. And it idles there for a little while. And then a woman comes out. And you recognize her. It's Shirley. Surely not, K-N-O-T, from the metal shop where Cadence and Echo and Baz work. She looks a little panicked, and you see Hayashi's uh, main bodyguard. Does he have a name? Olaf. Of course. Olaf gets Shirley into the car, and then they peel off, and then... Out the door of the tea house comes Cadence and Baz. Cadence doesn't see you, sees the car take off, obviously hesitates for a moment, but Baz is carrying somebody in his arms. Some dude. This looks very familiar. <laughs> Indeed, almost exactly. And he does this a lot, does he? <laughs> he just runs off. Just grabs down the people <laughs> without their consent. My opinion of him is not growing. <laughs> Cadence looks after the car, looks after Baz, obviously makes a decision, and heads back down an alley toward where you know the metal shop is, which is not far away. What do you do? So, uh, both of them are on foot. They cannot follow the car. Cadence's car is never far away from her. Now, to go back for just a moment, though, the next big thing, you are, are watching this scene play out, and when... Olaf puts Shirley into the car. You know that Hayashi's in there as well. And you can kind of see, because of the way the light is, that he puts his arm around her, and he pulls her close, and he is comforting her, and then they pull away. So, uh, perhaps I will not try and tail them directly, because if Cadence has a car nearby, she might be trying to do that. But I will rather perhaps go to perhaps I would like to go to where I believe they would end up uh, by a different route and then perhaps that's his apartment given his demeanor Uh, but of course I'm also doing my best to either personally or perhaps I call the office but uh but trying to follow the the uh, traffic cameras you do know that he normally goes back to his house in the... You had said that he does not like to be out late at night. Mansion Hills, yeah, no, he does not. But I know where he lives, so I'm going to head there, but of course, uh, in the meantime, I'm uh, doing what I can to check that I'm not way off base. When you do so, two things. You get to the gated community, I mean, you can't get to his house. Fair enough. You can see it with binoculars, but you can't get into the mansion district without subterfuge but you can see his car pull into his driveway you can see Olaf get out open the doors for them and you can see Hayashi usher Shirley into his all glass of course house (laughs) that is on the side of the hills to the south of the city from which he has a very good view there by city park of the pyramid of Ivy Corp building 
and the great spotlight that shines straight up from it. <laughs> uh, well, this seems like it might become important, the line of sight sort of things. And you yeah. see them go in from here because you have watched him. I mean, you know that you have a certain amount of time that you can go before any of the local security people come by and roust you. You see him and Shirley, and he's obviously talking her down from something. They're in their living they're in his living room. His manor house is stylish and modern, minimal art on the walls, but the art that there is there is of trees, of serene nature kind of things, but a lot of trees. Then your iPad bings and you get the info that you want from the traffic cams. It's not exactly what you wanted. The guy who is getting this information for you uh, has written a message, and you read it in his voice. He says, uh, Farouche, um, it looks like uh, yo, you've, uh, you've got some uh, people interested in you, it looks. And you can uh, see the logs, and you can see traffic cameras that are marking you following Hayashi's car, and it's been accessed by Ivy Corp. Fourth question. What is his mythos? Sitting there, your bike idling, you with your binoculars aimed up at the house. Him consoling Shirley, our cliffhanger moment. The trees on the walls. You suddenly get an overlay, a, a hallucination, a vision, which you don't know it, but the other teammates have been getting with various people as well. And what you see, almost, just as a flash, almost, you get the impression of a great, deep, dark forest, and bodies hanging, suspended from trees. And at that moment, in addition, there is a voice in your head, and another being, who has traveled from a place very far away, awakens into a new body, and Haven Harrow says, What the heck? And now we go back to our other team members, elsewhere, and else time. It's uh, been a couple of days, possibly, here since the events at the Boba Fett Tea House in Cantina. And during that time, uh, your contact in the uh, PI office, PI office of the Irving Street Investigations Agency, Arielle Farouche, um, she has called up the metal shop and uh, told whoever answered the phone, as long as it wasn't Baz, <laughs> about... Baz probably doesn't th- answer the phone. ...about all the things that she discovered in her investigations. And so you have all that information now. Not the part about where she had a voice in her head. But then again, you guys haven't really been sharing that you think that you might have voices in your head either. And on that note, you three don't remember your conversations as Dr. Grace, LJ, and whatever Sloshy's real name is. (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) I actually hope it's impronounceable in human speech. Right. It's it's just a bunch of, like, clicks and... It's a a slime speech. (laughs) Slimeism. None of us here speak jello. Come on. (laughs) Wobble, 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 wobble. <laughs> I was kind of thinking that after things calm down a little bit, um, after that wild night, uh, that you three manage to get together and just kind of put, you know, put out there what it is that you think you know, uh, where you think you need to go next with this investigation. I think it would do both your character is some good, and probably our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we, of course, remember all of the details of everything that's happened. But, you know, just for, for the listeners sake, we can go remind ourselves what we, of course, all know. Definitely. 100%. Roll a memory right. check. <laughs> Let me see. That's a negative two to memory yeah. <laughs> check. <laughs> right. Okay. So then uh, I guess if I may, maybe on the, the first day back in the shop. You know, the next morning or a morning after, I'm not sure if... It would be a day or two because of the investigation that, and riot that happened outside. <laughs> right. And that's how it's now being 
uh, couched is that there was a, a, a riot outside a recording studio and record shop in the industrial district. Okay, so it's being re- reported as a riot. Do we know what has happened to the the desiccated one and after its encounter with the police, or is that something that we have yet to find out? The perpetrators have not all been apprehended as of yet. Cool. Like during probably toward the end of our first day back, an important question. Does Shirley show up? No. Okay, Ooh. I kind of figured. <laughs> Shirley, Shirley. Was Shirley scheduled? Surely not. <laughs> so last time uh, it was just sort of in passing, but it became canon that Shirley works there part time. Right. Uh, she is scheduled okay. for sometime within the next couple of days. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that um, I would want to gather information that we have before we have to see Shirley again. So I think that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, for sure. So then toward the end of the first day back, Baz would kind of try and corner everybody and I'd say, hey, hey guys, I uh, I have something to show you and I think it might be uh, a good place for us to talk. Oh, it's a location. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of weird. Okay, but it is a location? Yes, yes, you it's know, a location. Uh, we just, we live in a weird city. People sometimes say, I got something to show you, and then you're looking at something you really didn't feel like seeing that day, and it's just, no, okay, anyway, never mind. Yeah, I, I think you guys can handle it. Are you gonna ring me back in the studio on the freaking light phone? <laughs> He's gonna do a Morse code on the light. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Meet at... <laughs> Boba Fett. (laughs) Except it would be the library. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you all pile into the Bronco. Weapons rattling around in the the back. In the footwell, yeah. Yeah, every time she breaks too hard, uh, (laughs) an antique flintlock comes sliding up underneath the seats and into the front floorboard. You're like, what's poking my foot? Oh, it's a... Cat of nine tails or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and she drives you across the river uh, into the old quarter and on up into um, uh, close to the uh, university area. And there you uh, park near the, uh, the library, uh, which is this big gothic looking edifice of stone and glass and no flying buttresses, but you can almost imagine them. And as you get out of the car and approach, it becomes almost like you are imagining them. Maybe more gargoyles than there were prior to this. Maybe a few more gargoyles than there were prior. I think he would take them in through like the, a side library entrance, and uh, it would start off as, okay, you know, we're We've come through the side entrance to the library. There are stacks, the shelves of the library are just kind of stretching off to each side. And as we progress through it, as we walk past the rows of shelves, row after row, they start to not be shelves anymore. And it's not really clear when that transition happens. Uh, It's kind of a, you know, going into Narnia-esque experience, maybe. Uh, And they're not shelves anymore. They're pews, row after row of pews. And there's this big circular stained glass window ahead, uh, you know, with the pulpit below and everything. And we're we're legit in a cathedral, not in the library anymore. So uh, yeah, I I found this the other night, and uh, I I think it's special. I think I have some kind of a connection to it. Wow, that sure beats out my car. Not in a foot race, though. <laughs> I meant in size. You could store so many of those, that stuff that's rattling around in the back of my car and put that all in here. Wait, so was this all, like, pot of the library? I, I, I think it might have always been here. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but just watch out for Phoebe. I'm not sure if she can get into this part. Who's Phoebe? She's the night librarian. Oh. She's really scary. Okay. All right. Does it seem like it would have the acoustics? Of a cathedral. For sure. Oh, hell yeah. To Echo's eyes, does this have a nice parabolic shape to it? Uh, There'd definitely be the kind of choir alcove there behind the pulpit where, you know, where you would get that 
you know, really good acoustic projection that would then project out <laughs> into the rest of it. The Neko is totally running for that, like, center point in between where the choir would, s- would most likely sit in that mm-hmm. little alcove and just start, <laughs> and let it resound and see what it sounded like. Even, even though Baz just warned him, don't bug the night librarian. <laughs> I start uh, picking up the rhythm, snapping along. Yeah, and I think Baz would would join Echo and even maybe nervously looking around for Phoebe, provide kind of a, a bass drone tone, you know, to, <laughs> to layer some sound on it. Just, oh. So, Echo, take the risk. Take the risk? Mm-hmm. When you perform a daring, risk your outright stupid feet. Oh, okay. <laughs> Echo totally takes a moment to just look around and see this beautiful shape of what Baz has introduced them to and just goes off running and stands in the middle of where it seems a choir would sit to get the best resonance through the chamber. Is just gonna just let it go. Just gonna take that risk and you know what? I don't care what Baz said about disturbing the night librarian. This is a beautiful space, and it needs a beautiful sound. And with that, I rolled a nine. Uh, Mark, attention on sound manipulation. Oh, boy. And it sounds awesome. All three of you, you know, making a little noise in here, getting a little music flowing, even though it's not the musical episode. Hey, when you're a band, baby, every day is a musical episode. And then a door opens, and a an older woman comes in to the space. Uh, her hair is close to her head, tied back. Uh, she has the stereotypical librarian's glasses upon her nose. She comes in, and she's frowning. She's looking around and frowning, as if she can hear something but can't see where it's coming from. Bass is like, hide, hide, hide. No, 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 hold still, hold still. Their vision's based on movement. (laughs) She looks around, idly goes to one of the pews, and then lifts her hand up as if she is touching a, a book on a shelf. And then she mimes, as far as you all can tell, moving that book to another place on the same shelf. And then she turns around and stares up at the choir area very intently, frowning. She's wearing a faded yellow patterned dress, and it almost seems to dim with the weight of her, of her scowl. Echo, here's the ugly choice you have to make. You think that given how you used your voice before, that you can make her forget about all of this. But to do so, you're going to have to lean into that magic side, your siren song side, and it's going to it's going to be a mind-affecting thing again. It's going to be this thing that that takes somebody's memories and messes with them. Or you can just let her stare and see what the consequences of that are. Any other choices? No. Or you angel wing into town. <laughs> at that point, Echo tries to take a moment to look at the specific understanding a parabolic curve and where the central focus is in that would try to triangulate angles to create this resounding echo of just a simple shh, 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 shh. Just to kind of try and make her not think that she heard what she heard. Maybe as an extra emphasis for that shh, 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 um, They hear it also and realize that, oops, we've been discovered. Hey, could, could Baz help? I was going to ask if I could help too. Do you have any help points for me? I do. I have one help point for Echo. I do also. How would you help? And how are you going to spend that? Uh, that juice to make that happen. 
Well, I literally have a power tag that's called performance because that's like one of my things. So I could help. I could uh, realize what Echo is doing like sonically, if not magically, and uh, start adding to the adding more going on. Yeah, exactly. So we've got multiple layers of them echoing on each other. Yeah, and I think Baz would would hold his peace if he saw that Cadence was chipping in. What tag would you like to give to Echo to use? Backup singer? <laughs> uh, sh- sure. Yeah, absolutely. Backup singer works nice. really well. Did we want to use tight like that on our crew theme? To, oh, is that a thing we can do? To boost oh, that up? That, that makes it two help yeah, points yeah. instead of one, basically. Yeah, you get two, two help juice. points from me instead of one. Oh, yeah, that was one of our improvements. Oh, that is only once per session, though. Do we want to use that here or save it for a different time? Baz thinks we should use it here. He is petrified of Phoebe. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Baz realizes that they're no good at shushing, so they shut the fuck up. No, sorry. (laughs) That that is what happens. You've got one from single target effectiveness, even though it's a weakness. So we're not going to click it because the the roll 20 thing would see it as a minus. Right. So I put it in as a uh, manual plus on your sheet. Okay. Uh, you've also got careful and measured. That brings mm-hmm. you up to plus two. Yep. And then you've got uh, one more. Choose from our crew theme. One from me. And then the crew theme improvement adds a second one. Right. From me, basically. So three total. Four total. Four total. Oh, oh this is going to be insane. <laughs> yeah. All right. In some of the example videos from the official City of Mist YouTube channel, the examples are like, okay, and then in this fight, um, Inkadu has plus seven power. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus oh, yeah. Christ. So, uh, but I think that's about it. So go ahead and go ahead and convince. Wow, it is a good thing that you had that plus four. Yeah. It is. It's a nine, for those of you listening along at home. <laughs> With a power of four. Uh, so for convince, when you are using your abilities to seduce somebody into doing something, roll plus power. On a hit, choose a relevant status with tier equals power. And then your target can choose either to take the status or... Uh, on a seven to nine, give in a little, but protect their own agenda. Ten plus, change their agenda to include yours, at least for the time being. So, what status? I mean, status four is is all but you know knocked out <laughs> as far as um, you know power goes. So you're going to give her a status of I don't know something like there's nothing to see here. These are not the four. droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. This is not the choir you're looking for. <laughs> These are not the rambunctious library goers you are looking for. <laughs> you heard something. It's just deja vu. She looks around, a little confused still, and then leaves the room a different way than she came. And you hear her in another room say, Shh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That was close, guys. Was that the scary librarian? She was really scary. Carefully stepping out of the alcove, out of the, you know, acoustic center of what is trying to project. Got it. Quiet. Let's keep going. Okay. That was, that was pretty good, though. Yeah, we sound good together, guys. So we would find some place less uh, sonically liable to give us away. <laughs> so just in the pews somewhere. It'd definitely get out of the acoustic shell, <laughs> and and we were just kind of Baz would probably sit down in front of the front row of pews, uh, so that he could be face to face with people and and be able to see their mouths. There's like little little rooms behind the you know front of the church, right? You, you mean the confessionals? You could you could all go into a confession. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be a clown show at all. Well, different confessionals. But nearby one another. <laughs> well, but are, aren't there like in cathedrals, like little side rooms where like, you know, that are not in the main space? Is there anything like that that we could? I, I'm sure there's an office that's connected that we, okay. could, <laughs> we could duck into. Yeah, but I'm not sure that that is manifested yet. Perhaps. Right. Okay. I, I would kind of see this as manifesting the things that are most iconic right. about that location. And less first. so the mundane. 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not an office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that uh, Phoebe has probably been dealt with for the time being, as long as we don't, you know, uh, Make advertise our presence. Yeah. Anymore. So Baz okay. would just kind of gesture at, at a pew and sit down in front of it. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I haven't had a chance to to bring over my uh, my my cork board yet. But uh, maybe we can just maybe we can just talk through it. Yeah, yeah. Do you have like a notebook or something we can use? Yeah, hang and uh, you know, sketch out some some stuff. Not and to be all out. connecting lines or anything like that, but uh, you know, aliens. And so he pulls out two books, actually. Uh, one of them leather bound, kind of loose leafed, very old, clearly. Uh, the other one, a spiral wound notebook. Mm-hmm. You know, spirals across the top kind of a reporter's notebook, but he puts away the first one and opens up the notebook, uh, the spiral-wound notebook, to somewhere in the middle, because he's got clearly a lot of things he's already written, and says, yeah, okay, so um, we know... Baz, you check to make sure that you are uh, that you are on the first clear page, and you flip right. back, and you see that there's a page that has writing on it that you don't remember putting there. It's a list of names. Baz is clearly mystified and staring at this page in the notebook. What? Where, uh, where, what you where got do these there? names come from? I've got, I've got names. I've got uh, Fender. Uh, is that Andy's name? Uh, Fen- Fender Jacks. Yeah, and Andy, Andy, yep, for sure. Uh, Shirley. These names, by the way, are ones that while LJ was inhabiting Baz's consciousness. Driving the Bazmobile. Driving the Bazmobile. <laughs> that uh, he wrote down real quick. And yes, it includes uh, Shirley Not, Cal Weathers, Andy I use. It also includes... Uh, I think he would have probably written down uh, Mrs. Singh. Kelly O'Brien. Oh, Kelly O'Brien. Yeah, and, and maybe the list goes on for a bit, but he's... Just puzzling over where this came from. Mr. Fish. <laughs> Mr. Fish. Ariel's boss. Uh, Phoebe, the librarian, is written <gasps> down there. Phoebe is the name of this library, the grumpy librarian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ba- right now, Baz puts a strike through that. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what this list is for, but she's not allowed to be on it. There, there is no chance that Phoebe is one of the lost in his mind. She is <laughs> well. Purely Baz would know what the lost are, though. Ah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Or would he? <laughs> Fine. Then, then he just sees Phoebe's name and jumps a little bit. L- LJ changes his mind. No, this is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, these these are all all people who we've had some kind of contact with, or maybe who've who've talked to us about. About the desiccated ones, I think. Yeah, or obviously, you know, Shirley is, you know, really important. LJ would totally be Phoebe with, like, three, like, really, like, deep-drawn question marks (laughs) next to it. (laughs) Like, I don't know, man, Phoebe? Got it, got it. I just love the idea of Bass seeing Phoebe's a bit name, and it's like, nope, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally scribbling it out before, oh yeah, okay, what were we talking about? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I love it. Okay, so, uh, there are these names, I guess these could be part of what we're talking about, but, you know, what what do we do next? Man, this is is your notebook, you don't know what these names are for? I, I, I really don't. I... I just opened it up. I don't remember writing these. It, it's been a tough few days, though. I was really tired. That it has, yeah. At the top, it does have two words that aren't somebody's name. The words are the lost with a question mark. And I don't yeah. know that they're lost. I think, I mean, Shirley might be lost, but I think everybody else we know where they are. Except for Kelly O'Brien. He's apparently at large. <laughs> As a zombie. <laughs> By the way, wait. Uh, he's a zombie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, cue the montage where I talk about all of my uh, adventures with the police and Kelly O'Brien's body. 
and I recap for Baz the daring rescue that I accomplished. Oh, oh my gosh, I wasn't there. Yeah, well, I mean, you were daringly, res- daringly rescuing somebody else. Baz kind of hangs his head. Yeah, what was up with Andy? Oh yeah, Andy had like he had this whole rhyme about like doomsday. It was crazy. I mean, not. It was actually the sanest he sounded in like a long time. You know, he comes in sometimes, he's got these poems, and he he gave us this one about, like, people in power, like, seizing the moment in a way that would, like, harm other people and Judgment Day. So you're telling me that Andy just totally randomly spouted out the stuff about some forest, like Ariel did? No, he didn't spout out. Well... No, 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 he didn't spout out something like a forest. And I kind of look at Baz, like, he, like... He vomited up a forest, an actual forest. (laughs) It was it was almost like we were in a forest. He instead looked like a forest in a the, weird the way. Shop. But in like there was like a path in it and like it forked. And every time we talked about making choices, we would like see it make another fork in the path. Yeah. Uh I, I wrote it down. I don't know if you just want to look at it. You wrote the poem down? Oh, that's so good. I totally I didn't did not catch it. It was just freaking me out that Andy Ayaz was making sense and rhyming. Yeah, the first one was about some guy named Bill <laughs> Nye. <laughs> I hate you right now. <laughs> you made me break. Oh, okay. Um, oh, man. So, like, was it good? End of Nye guy. He's no Bill Nye. It's the right <laughs> no, guy. No, no, no. No, no the, other, the, the other, the other one. That one sounds oh. like garbage. Honestly, that one sounds <laughs> well, like total well, yeah. garbage. I I didn't want to say, but yeah. No, okay. City, sky, no, standby. What this? Okay, and then y- you were also telling me that he had some weird forest dream. Any was it? Did you find out if it was anything like Ariel's? Well. I don't know, because he never, he didn't talk about it. It was like, we were having, you saw it too, right, Baz? Like, he looked weirdly. I, I did. It was kind of more of an impression. I didn't, I don't, I don't remember seeing any bodies in the trees, though. No, no, a... just the path, like a road that, like, diverged. So Andy actually shared the vision with you? I don't think he even realized anything about trees or anything like that he never talked about it we never talked about it to him but it was just that to us for some reason he looked i don't know how else to say it man he looked like a bunch of trees with a with a a road with a fork in it the hallucination the vision whatever you want to call it uh for him was not a deep dark foreboding forest either it was more like a i mean almost an english country wood in the you know daylight with dappled sunlight and and such you could almost imagine you didn't hear the sound but you could almost imagine the birds twittering in the trees <laughs> yeah this was kind of a nice forest yeah it wasn't it wasn't like the forest but i don't think the forest was the point you know i think it was just like you know i don't Pardon know in my assumptions you said he see there was a vision of a forest and then you gave me this dark poem no I just, absolutely I, t- I totally get where you uh where you made that assumption absolutely okay but. so the forest is a little bit separate it seems like this yeah. actually the words of this poem that you wrote down uh it seems almost more than a poem like uh foretelling yeah yeah and so I was wondering, he said he wrote a poem about the reign of bodies, right? So is he writing about, like, was this poem about something that's happened already or something that's still happening? That's what I was wondering. Well, it it kind of sounded like there's power to be had Mm -hmm. and the people who know what's going on can take it. Yeah. It sounds like a prophecy. Yeah, it awfully does. Are we the prophecy? At that moment, like, look back and forth between everybody and look within myself and be like, oh, God, we're doomed. (laughs) Kind of, like, attitude in my head at that moment and just be like, really? We're what's called up to defend the world? (laughs) We're screwed, Scoob! Just Echo realizing the weight of this. Yeah. Would be like... Oh, that's a lot to take in. 
Yeah, we might be in a little over our heads. But, I mean, we're not totally helpless, though, right? Like, like I mean, Vaz did that cool stuff, like swinging off that building. And, uh, and and you just like disappeared us coming out of the uh, out of Copper Pot Joe's and Echo. I don't know what that was you did with the cops, man. But back there, that was uh, I don't know. I was kind of busy with the car, but like that one dude had you on the ground. And then like the next thing, I looked over and like you were like up, and they weren't paying attention to you. And there's got to be some kind of power going on with any just gestures to the cathedral therein. <laughs> yeah you turned a library into a church man that's really cool with that like odd look around like yeah it's a sanctuary of knowledge pretty cool to be honest it's something i've feared for a long time and it's something i found during that rain if you know what i'm talking about there's just been something inside of me that's violent it's coercive and i really hope to find a, a beautiful side of it so far it's protected me but at what cost i'm still on the fence about yeah i i can't even seem to protect the people i i care about on a day-to-day -day basis i don't know what i don't know what we can do to be honest you all seem to have a little something extra i don't know how to explain it it's like a certain shine that comes out um, when I look at you for just a little longer than, you know, a passing glance. I think that you all have something special about you, and that's why I've grown to trust you in a way. So as you say that, Echo, you are looking at your companions a little closer than normal, and you begin to see that hazy hallucination thing that everybody else has been talking about and you see it happen with them it's kind of an it's kind of an overlap of an overlap because they're there together but when you when you look at cadence cadence what would you say that echo sees um i think it's more like just all of a sudden it's like cadence's face is really hard to make out like you're much more focused on like the collar of my jacket and you're not sure if I was wearing a jacket earlier, but I've got a high, high collar, like a, almost like a cartoonishly high. And it looks almost like a, maybe a, like a old fashioned military jacket or something. It's like got this big high collar. It's turned up. It's got lapels, but, uh, you know, and like shoulder, little fancy shoulder, uh, epaulets. And you really, really notice all of that stuff and like my torso and stuff, maybe I look taller than I did before. It's hard to tell. We're all sitting down. But for whatever reason, all the details that you try to focus on in the face and the head area, your mind just slips right off. I'm like, they're not even there. And when you look at Baz, what would you say Echo sees Baz? Immediately, he's bigger. Uh, he goes from still a fairly impressive individual to to just a hulking uh, brute it it seems at first glance the the necrosis that has kind of marred the left side of his face changes from just scarring to an actual physical deformity uh where his his left eye socket is pretty much occluded by kind of a an extra growth <laughs> from from his brow and you know instead of having kind of a you know, a medically explicable hump for a person who still goes around a normal society. He's he's full on hunchback, just you know, this massive individual hunched over, uh, sitting in front of you and looking at this point. You know, and this is visible to both eyes. Maybe a little bit kind of confused and defeated. And because you're where you are, and because you're talking about what you're talking about, Cadence and Baz, looking at Echo, see something as well. And what is that? I envision this very, very, like, smoky, ethereal, like, twisting across their vision where it's like, it seems like it's their, their companion, Echo, and then it shifts to something else where it seems like a lady in a wheelchair and just kind of, like, flickering in and out of a vision of a very intelligent-looking woman in 
in a wheelchair and then it flickers back and forth again and it's a completely different character and it's like this beautiful operatic singer in the middle of a stage back you know in in uh gothic times where um she's putting on a performance that is just totally capitalized captivating the audience and like all of these shifts like just kind of go through in this weird smoky atmosphere where uh they phase in and out of like a certain persona that surrounds this person are they flipping between a musically talented persona or are they going for more of a twisted dark metallic very intelligent robotic persona and just kind of like interweaving between those two. All right. So you all see those visions of each other. And because you do, I can't force you uh, to make a hard choice, but I think that I'm going to throw this out there, that this might be a good moment to do so, that it's a good moment to mark crack on one of your uh, logos themes, because here in this otherworldly room, seeing these things laid over one another that aren't there and yet are obviously some aspect, talking about these, you know, magic powers you have, that seems like a time where you should, where definitely the mist would be wanting you to forget about all that. That doesn't mean anything. Embrace your, your life, you know. You you all have these hopes and dreams. Baz, you want you 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 aren't worried about this. You don't need to know what all this is. You need to figure out what what your your cult that you were in, you know, what that's all about. And and cadence, you you don't need to be this is distracting from your your music career. You need to be focusing on that and echo you need to be in the recording studio mixing and making sounds that people are going to love. You don't need to be dealing with all this magic crap. And so I see a definite moment here where if you wanted to mark crack on a theme, that it would be absolutely a uh, a a reasonable time to do so. Yeah, for Baz, I think he feels both distanced from you know, the things that were important to him before. And also, you know, like he was just saying, he doesn't seem to even be able to protect the people that he wants to protect. And those are the the kids he left behind in the cult. So he's feeling a little bit defeated by that. So I think it's totally appropriate for him to mark crack on the defining relationship, snake handlers, theme book. I'd like to say that if, if Ariel uh, was here, that she would say, what do you want to do? Carry them all off in your arms down the street, running, <laughs> running through the streets of the city? That, I'd, I'd do that if I could. <laughs> He's only done that twice on camera so far. Uh, yeah, I was going to uh, mark crack on my personality theme book, Optimistic Nihilist, because that's a little bit kind of not believing in fate or anything greater than what's right in front of us. And here's like direct explicit evidence that other stuff is going on than what's right in front of us. So I think that might be crack on that one. And uh, why Echo, if you mark one more crack on recording technician, you, you get some more powers. I know I can't, I'm trying to think of a way to argue that right now. That that's the one that you would do. I mean, that's essentially the one that I just made the argument. Uh, the mist argument, anyway. It also does fit into my training because I am going kind of off my normal routine kind of... Oh, I get it. Going off of my normal routine. Oh, shit. So all of that happens. All of those things, you know, a certain clarity comes to you here in this little pocket of otherness that is this church inside of the library. And you have just seen all of this stuff, and, and you realize that this has pushed your mortality, your everyday lives, a little further away. Yeah, Baz had just been talking about how he didn't feel powerful at all, basically. Uh, and then Echo, and then everybody like has these reveal moments of, hey, maybe we are actually pretty, <laughs> we're getting ba <laughs> more badass by the day. So what do you what do you do? What do the three of you do with these, this new revelation? We seem to be uh, pretty important 
to what's going on. I mean, if nothing else, we're at least noticing. You realize nobody else is noticing. Except Andy. You three notice. You, Baz, you, Cadence, and Ariel also. They notice. I think, I think some of these others, you wrote some of their names down. I think some of these others have a little bit of information of what's going on. But mm-hmm. you three see it like I see it. Well, maybe that's what Andy's poem means, uh, that we have to know yeah. what there is to know before, before we have the power. And you're certainly in the right place to know things, says Phoebe. Ah! <laughs> because you are obviously rifts. Now, uh... show yourselves or get out of my library. And you see Phoebe standing there now. Phoebe just jump scared us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I love and, that. And we'll find out what happens next time on <laughs> the, Gothic the Gothic Podcast. The Gothic Podcast is a horror and humor actual play audio drama produced by C. Patrick Nagel and Goblin Brook Manor LLC. Starring C. Patrick Nagel, Sharon Gallery Lafournaise, Jesse Baldwin, Eric Halbert, and me, Kirsten Valerie. Our logo was designed by Jared George Art, and our theme music is by Zoe Hovland. We stay afloat thanks to you, so if you can, please support us on Patreon and follow, like, and review us on iTunes and all our social media platforms. Thanks for joining us in the dark, Sojourners. That was all very beautiful and all. Um, are you describing Grace or the Siren? Both. <laughs> Por <que no> los dos. <laughs> because the Siren mythos was here before Grace appeared. Well, and Grace had a little bit of a Siren in her as well back in those gothic days. Back in the day? I was a little confused. <laughs> no, I, I, I was going there. I was like, my heart was beating really hard. (laughs) I love bringing Grace into my character. I am looking for all of the wonderful twists that we've had over the last few seasons to bring Grace into this Echo character. Woo!